Welcome into a new edition of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, I am Jason Foyd. That is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. here to break down UFC Vegas 77. Of course, goes down tomorrow there inside the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Of course, we come off last week where, Pete, we didn't have just one, not two, not three, but four fights ended under a minute. Yeah, absolutely wild card last week. Um, hit some awesome dogs, um, crazy fast finishes and super high scoring for gpp so it was an exciting tournament type of fight card and uh you know it, it was a it was a really good one like i enjoyed it i i was able to watch it and uh thoroughly enjoyed watching it it was a good solid card yeah I mean, the place i went out and, and watched the fights you know, one of my big takeaways was how interested people were in bo nickel and of course bo goes out there and does what he does i mean you know, i'm checking it and by the way congratulations to texas advo 1991 taking down the fight hq contest last week with 769 points my guy pete gets 702 points and still is not even in the money yeah man i i really thought i had it and i was looking at my lineup i'm like oh yeah i got some good high scores um but you know, Robbie Lawler came through. Uh, the the under the underdog in the women's fight, I forget what her name was, but she came through. Denise um, Gomez, you, you called it on the show last week. We, we, hey, we got we got to give you roses. We, you, you made that call last week, and I tell you, as I was kind of adjusting my lineups, I was like, ah, oh, man, do I? I was like, I should ride my guy Pete, but I did not. Uh, but yeah, man, nice call on that one last week. Thank you. Yeah, I mean. All in all, it was a good card. I can't believe Dan Hooker came back and won that fight against Jalen Turner. I mean, that was just outlandish. He took so much, so much damage. Head kicked, nearly finished, broken orbital, broken arm. Um, Dude, the but, snap like, of that head kick. Yeah, I mean, like that's one of those things. And and look, me and you have been in this fight game for a long time, and we've heard that sound in fights. Usually, when you hear that sound, it's night night. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's crazy too because. Like everybody was high on Jalen Turner, including myself. And, uh, you know, I was just like, maybe we see Jalen Turner get knocked out or finished because you, you remember him stepping up on short notice against Vicente Luque, but obviously that was at welterweight. But you know what I mean? It, it seemed like Turner hit a new stride. It's just styles make fights, man. And, and that that's why it's always so compelling each and every week whenever you have, uh, you know, fights at the highest level of the sport because on any given day, Upsets happen, and it's really not that crazy when when you're talking about mixed martial arts. Of course, uh, we're going to be right, breaking down this fight card here. You know, me and Pete were talking a little bit right before the show, talking about kind of some fights and, and game theory for this week. And you know, obviously, you got a ton of fights. I mean, the main event's going to be kind of an interesting, interesting one. I'm going to get to a ton of that in terms of it. Um, you know, but I do think there's a couple fights on this card. You know, the McKinney fight, I think, is a fight that is going to be a priority fight on both sides. I mean, we all know the, the upside Terrence McKinney has, but man, it's kind of tough to go against that that Sarah Longo team uh, with, with Nazim there. But I, I think there's other ones like I'll, I'll give you a high one that I think is probably a fight I'm going to prioritize. It's going to be the Evan Elder and Valdez fight. Um, Takedown upside Alex Munoz, even though he hasn't fought in two years, but that is a clear path to him winning that fight. So like that's going to be kind of a generally how I'm looking at building my lineups uh, for tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, I love some volatile matchups that 8,200, 8,000 fight is always going to be a priority for me. Um, the main event's hard to get away from when you have five rounds. Um, and then some, like you mentioned, volatile fights between Nazim and Terrence McKinney. Um, I also like a couple underdogs, but, uh, I, I, I definitely think I want to see where ownership, uh, you know, plays out 
and where I can get some leverage on the field because I'm liking some some calls that I'm not too sure that the that the public agrees with me on. Of course, uh, we've got our contest over there on DraftKings. The link to that contest is in the show notes, whether you're watching us here on YouTube or if you're listening to us on the podcast channels. We appreciate everyone checking out the show. Of course, a uh, great way to show your support for the show is subscribing to the channel here on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up. Leave a comment. Of course, uh, you can also subscribe to the show over on the podcast platforms. We've got our Discord channel as well. Totally free. A great conversation we have in there. And of course, uh, if you want to send us a super chat, we'll get you your super chat questions as they do come. In, but Pete, let's get right into it. The main event, a big matchup here at, at women's 135 pounds. Of course, we all know that title being vacated. By the way, if you've not heard, the light heavyweight title is now vacated as Jamal Hill ruptures his Achilles while playing basketball last weekend in Las Vegas with other oh, fighters. Wow. He, he's vacated the title, so we'll see what's going to happen there. So right now we got two UFC titles that are, are vacant. So, But this one I think is going to play very much into where maybe we see what they do with Juliana Pena. And, of course, that'll be Holly Holm taking on Maya Bueno Silva. Silva is a plus 145 betting underdog, minus 170. For Holly Home, Holly 8600 DK, 20 on Fanduel, and Silva she's 7600 on DK and $16 on Fanduel. Pete, yeah, really compelling fight here between Holly Home, who is like the ultimate gatekeeper for uh, the women's bantamweight division, eight and six in the UFC, against an up and comer in Myra Buena Silva, and I can say up and comer because she's she's still relatively green for her, um, you know, for her experience. She's five two and one in the UFC. She's been around for a little bit, but she hasn't accomplished what Holly Holm has. She hasn't fought the top-tier competition like Holly Holm has. Um, so the experience lies with Holly Holm. The coaching staff that Holly Holm always has around her, You know, they, they develop a game plan to tailor around her strengths, which is distance striking, um, moving, moving around, having good footwork, incorporating takedowns to solidify rounds. Um, and we've seen her do that against some dangerous grapplers as well. Caitlin Vieira, very good grappler. And Holly Holm didn't shy away from, from attempting takedowns. She attempted six. Uh, she was unable to you know, land any of them, but she still had 10 minutes of control time, lots of reversing positions and um, you know, fighting against the cage. With all that being said, though, I, I do have to say that it is very difficult in MMA to constantly go out there and be a gatekeeper and just beat everybody outside the champ. Um, we saw last week, Robert Whitaker, I feel like nobody was giving Drikas Duplessis much of a shot. Um, I thought that over the total, you know, over the course of 15 minutes that Robert Whitaker is clearly the better fighter and that, you know, Drikas Duplessis is the better, you know, moment fighter where, where it's like big moments, uh, goes out there, spurts of energy and he could finish Robert Whitaker, no problem at all. But it, it just seemed like Drikas Duplessis was just you know, on the rise and Robert Whitaker kind of lost a step and never truly recovered from getting dropped in round one on the stool. Um, the reason I'm bringing that fight up is because I feel like we could actually see like a changing of the guard a little bit. I don't think that Mara Buena Silva is going to become a champion necessarily, but I think she's super, super dangerous. Um, unlike some of Holly Holmes previous opponents, like Yana Santos, don't consider her dangerous. Caitlin Vieira, don't consider her dangerous. Irene Aldana is pretty dangerous, but she's, you know, one-dimensional. She's just a, a mainly a boxer, mainly a striker. Raquel Pennington, not really dangerous. Um, you know, Myra Buena Silva goes out there and she finds submission finishes. Outside of that, though, she hits really, really hard, and she puts a ton of pressure on her opponents. I think the lateral movement of Holly Holm can negate some of that, but I feel like it's a it's a pretty damn close fight. 
and there's five rounds to work with. I, I kind of just had this really, really bad feeling that Myra Buena Silva either catches Holly Holm with a big, big shot or she finds the, submin- uh, the submission over the course of 25 minutes because if you tell me this goes the distance, I do think that Holly Holm is clearly the better fighter. I still think she's the better fighter than Myra Buena Silva. This is more of a gut call than anything, but I'm going to be backing Myra Buena Silva here. I'd rather be early than late, and um, you know I, I think everybody's expecting Holly Holm, business as usual, go out there, win a decision, you know, strike from the outside, and uh, just kind of do enough to be a uh, the better mixed martial artist for 25 minutes. But I, I'm going to take my shot on Myra Buena Silva. Against my own judgment, I just think that she's too dangerous and everything I'm seeing in training and American top team, I think she might be ready for this moment, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the questions I have really about this fight is we have seen Holly Holm go the takedown route uh, in her past couple of matchups. So this is one I really don't think she does that. Over prize picks, her takedown prop is one and a half. That's what it's, I'm saying. I, I don't – there's not uh, – I will say this. There's not a lot I love over prize picks this week. I don't really – I would that would not be a play that I'd want to go to where I think it's kind of an interesting one. And if, if this thing does go 25 minutes and plays out primarily against the feet, her significant strike prop is 85 and a half. I would tend to maybe look at going over that 85 and a half if this thing goes five minutes. But I'm kind of like you. I, I've really been looking at the underdog here in Silva, and I think she's going to be probably a underdog pick number one for me. But uh, it, it's one of those things, that, and I feel like. I've discredited Holly Holm, you know, over the last year or so. And I mean, look, we all know this father time catches up with everyone and you just, maybe this is going to be the time. And it would not surprise me if the winner of this fight, if they go out there and have an unbelievable performance that potentially they get the, uh, the crack at Juliana Pena for the vacant tile saying that, uh, that that's the route the UFC is going to go. Yeah. I mean, like I'm not going to get away from Holly Holm, right? Like mid, mid AK range, 8,600, five round fight. She can rack up a ton of points, and in five-round fights, she's done that. She scored 74 in a loss against Kentlin Vieira, even though she was uh, 0 of 6 in the takedown department but had 10 minutes of control time. She gets that decision. She's looking at 104. Um, you know, we've seen her in five rounds score 132 fantasy points. That was against Irene Aldana. She had five of 14 takedowns, five minutes of control time, high-volume striking. The issue with Holly Holm for me in this matchup, it's just I think that her opponent is much more dangerous in the, in the jiu-jitsu realm mm-hmm. than her other opponents. So I, I, I'm, I feel like she might be a little hesitant to engage in some of the grappling and just the pressure can eventually lead to a finish or just a, you know, a sequence where Myra Buena Silva has some success. And um, I, I know Holly Holm didn't get finished against Cyborg. There were moments when I thought she was going to get finished, but granted that was back in 2017. We're in 2023 right now. Father Time is undefeated. I'd rather be earlier than late, so I'll be edging towards Myra Buena Silva, but I'll be smashing this fight from an exposure level. Yeah, I'm with you there. Now, our co-main event is a matchup that came together here on Monday. Jack Della, Matt Atlanta. Of course, we all know he was supposed to fight last week. Fight that ultimately does not happen due to a medical issue with his opponent. And he's now taking on the UFC newcomer, Basile Hafez. Hafez is a plus 380 underdog, minus 500 for Matt Atlanta. Matt Atlanta is 9700 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. And for Basile, he is 6500 on DK, $8 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I think Hafis is uh, he, he's solid, right? He's training with a, a good team. Um, he's in, been incorporating some training up at the Onyx, uh, Team Onyx with with Gaethje and the Usman brothers and all of that. But, um, you know, he, he's predominantly a grappler on paper. He throws heavy strikes, and sometimes those heavy strikes drop his opponents. He's coming off a, a TKO finish 
Um, in other fights, though, I have seen his power on display. He's got a big right hand, and he kind of clubs and subs his opponents or hurts them en route to you know getting on top and riding them out for the remainder of the round. The issue here is that he's going up against Jack Della Maddalena, who I think is uh, one of the hottest fighters inside the UFC. Four finishes in a row, Pete Rodriguez, Hamazan Amiv, Danny Roberts, and Randy Brown. I hold Randy Brown and Hamazan Amiv to – a much high, you know, a much higher standard than I do. Basile Hafez uh, doesn't mean he can't win this fight with a big overhand or a big shot. Um, I do think that stylistically, the best path to beat Jack Della Maddalena is just wrestle, wrestle early and wrestle often. A lot easier said than done. Would have loved to see the gut check against Sean Brady and see how Jack Della Maddalena handled a grappler of that caliber. I don't think that Basile Hafez is on on you know the same level as Sean Brady at all. And I do know that Jack Della Maddalena has been working extensively with Craig Jones to up his jujitsu and up his grappling. So I know he's going to be more than ready. The one thing that I, I have a concern with is back-to-back weight cuts uh, for Jack Della Maddalena. Um, we, we see silly things like this happen often in the sport where guys are impatient or, or ladies are impatient and they want to just stay active, and um, they go out there and they take a fight maybe that isn't the the smartest because they either want to get a payday or they just want to get you know time in the cage. Think about Joanne Calderwood giving up a title shot for just to stay active, and then losing that bout, and then her entire career has been somewhat derailed after that. I think Jack Della Madalena clearly goes out there and picks up a knockout in round one or round two. Um, the issue here is the price point ninety seven hundred. I think it's a great matchup for Jack Della Maddalena. His striking's on a completely different level. He's been preparing for a guy who's much better than Basile Hafez, working with Craig Jones. Everything points to Jack Della Maddalena to get this fight done early. It's just, does he do it early enough to get the quick win bonus? I don't think he gets the quick win bonus. It's not impossible. I think he, that he gets a, a round one finish, possibly a round two, because Basile is somewhat dangerous. He's not a bum at all. He, he's, he's very, very good. Um, this is just a horrible step up in competition. It's an opportunity for Basile Hafez to get into the UFC. So I'll be playing plenty of Jack Della Maddalena, but obviously at that price point, I can pivot to other places and other 9,000 options to to build a stronger lineup. You know, Basile is a guy that I'm very familiar with. Uh, got introduced to him when he was training out at Factory X. Um, he was there for a while. And, and he's, when you, when you look at his strength of schedule, this is a guy who's fought tough competition on, on the regional scene. I mean, and he was a guy that, you know, over the last year or so, I always kind of felt like he was probably a win or two away from getting a, a, a UFC call. I mean, you're talking about back when, you know, early on in his career, in his fourth, his fifth pro fight, he took on Jeremiah Wells. I mean, yeah. so this is this is a guy who's fought tough competition, um, but you know, I, I'm glad that you brought up the point. You know, is to me, it's like when you look at what happened last week with Jack Della Maddalena is like, how much weight did he cut to make weight, and then, right. then once the fight was scrapped, did you go into binge eating mode? And you know that that to me is, but to me, Jack's got to be the play here, but. I'm going to take some stabs at Basile Hafez if he can maybe weather an early storm from Jack Della Maddalena. Yeah, I'm single-digit exposure to, to Basile Hafez. But, like, uh, it's it's sometimes, you know, certain cards you can have a fighter who, in a loss, does enough to get you to that optimal score. Um, I bring it up, and I've been bringing it up for months and months and months. Stephen Kozlo 
long mm-hmm. time ago against Cameron yeah. Simon in a loss, racked up enough takedowns and enough control time. Even though he did lose, it allowed me to get to such a unique score that nobody else had it. Uh, could Basile do that? I think it's going to be really, really hard against Jack Della Maddalena, but it's not impossible. So I'll keep him probably 2%, 3%. Um, but, yeah, I'm expecting Jack Della Maddalena to roll here. Yeah, you, you look over prize picks. Uh, Jack Della Maddalena, 30 and a half significant strikes. His fight time is four and a half minutes, and his fantasy score is 120 and a half. Um, I mean, I, I can see the path to, to getting past 120 and a half, but likely going to need a first round victory there. Um, once again, not, not a lot that I love on prize picks this week. Yeah. And that's, Just, that's rare because Jason finds that value for you guys. There, there's picks, but like there's he's, like he's not going to recommend something that he's not you know confident in so it's like you know it makes sense to me everything that you're saying in regards to prize picks there was one proper prize picks that i like but the number's gone up and we'll talk about that fight later that uh, doesn't really necessarily make me love that number anymore let's move over next our matchup will be uh the a200 and 8000 fight pete's favorite fight of the week that'll be Prado taking on azatar uh prado is a minus 115 betting favorite minus 105 for azatar uh prado's a200 on dk 16 dollars on fanduel and for azatar he's 8000 on dk and 15 dollars on FanDuel, Pete. I'm struggling with this fight, and you know it's the salary that I struggle with, and then we have two volatile options, so I'm really going to struggle. So you have Atman Azatar, who had two first-round TKO finishes over Timu Pakalan and Kama Worthy, then uh, paired up against Matt Favola, went out there, looked to be wild, as he always is, but got caught with a left hook mid-exchange, um, and when he was finishing round one. You have Francisco Prado, who on the regional scene is, you know, finding finishes, very, very aggressive. When he goes, he puts together some good combinations. He hits really hard, has a great left hook, good wild shots, can kick. Um, but it was a massive step up of competition against Jamie Malarkey in his debut. Can't really fault him there. Um, I do see some green tendencies for Francisco Prado on the mat. He is slightly favored. On DraftKings at 8,200 over Otman Azatar. And I, I will say that probably the strength of schedule, you know, lies with Otman Azatar uh, regionally. And then obviously having some more UFC experience as well. So this is a super volatile matchup. I want to get behind the young kid in Francisco Prado. There were moments in the first fight against Jamie Malarkey where I thought he'd be more aggressive than he was. And, you know, perhaps it was due to the respect of Jamie Malarkey, but it, you know, waiting a little bit and kind of like letting the bright lights get to you, allow Jamie Malarkey to pick up some momentum in that fight. If he does that against Otman Azatar, I feel like he could get clipped and hurt and knocked out or, you know, maybe just controlled throughout. And, and next thing you know, 10 minutes passes and, and you're down two rounds. Um, it's a tough fight. Francisco Prado is training out of the goat shed. I know that they are in, MMA gym on the rise in Florida. They train really hard. They do a lot of MMA glove sparring. You know I'm big on that because mm-hmm. I, I make my guys and myself do MMA glove sparring a lot. Sounds obvious, but a lot of people don't do it as often as they should. Small glove sparring is great. Francisco Prado, according to their coach, has been put through one of the toughest training camps he's ever had anybody go through. Take that with a grain of salt. That could be coaches speak, but um, 
I'm going to slightly lean towards Francisco Prado. It's not a confident play at all. I, this is probably like a 55-45 type of exposure for me. I'm going to get to one of these guys. I'm expecting the fight to end inside of a, uh, a round and a half. Uh, just given the nature of both of them, they, they throw caution to the wind. Big, big shots. It's going to be about who lands first. I'll lean with Francisco Prado, slightly younger, could be hungrier, and uh, kind of just more aggressive. So we'll see. But I'm, I'm going to lean towards Francisco Prado. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason this is the A200, 8,000 fight of the week. And look over prize picks, uh, Prado, fight time, six minutes, uh, 76 and a half fantasy score. So I think if you'd like Prado to win this fight via stoppage, that's an easy overplay uh, in terms of that. And uh, significant strikes, 28 and a half. Out of those three, if I was going to play any of them, I'd probably play the fantasy score just because I do think that this fight's probably going to end sometime in the first or second round. I think this has the recipe for potentially just being one of those fun fights of the card. And, you know, when you look at what the ownership projections are, I mean, I'm like where these numbers are at. I think you get a little bit of uh, value on, on both these guys, but uh, I, I don't, it's not a fight that I feel confident in saying this guy is going to win. Yeah, me either. And, and it's like, you you know, that Prado faced tough competition in, in Jamie Malarkey. So it's like, okay, here's an easier fight against Atman Azatar stylistically. That's what he should like a, a stand up fight, but it's almost like, you know, Atman, He's a tough out as well, and you can't really hold a loss to Matt Frivola negatively. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he got caught by Matt Frivola. Yeah. So did Drew Dober. You know what I mean? So Who had never, we, who had never been knocked out. Right, exactly. So we can't really hold that against them. And Frivola hits like a truck. Um, yeah, I, it's, I might have to wait a day or, or wake up early tomorrow and then see what the exposure is like. Because if one of these guys is going completely, you know, glossed over, and it's like recency bias. Everybody wants to back, you know, Prado, and, and they don't want to get to Atman Azatar. I'm okay with taking that gamble. It's a really close fight mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And Brian in the chat says this is a fight we must target. I yeah. feel like it's a coin flip fight. I, I think it's got to be. It, it's a fringe priority fight for me, just because of. But I, it's a fight that I don't feel confident either way. I mean, I think you know, yeah. Either one of these guys, I mean, I slightly do lean Prado, but, um, you know, if I'm looking, but to me, that'll probably be more of the see where ownership is when we get to uh, lock time there tomorrow. Next up, we got a matchup that was initially supposed to be the co-main event, but got moved down on the fight card. John Young Park taking on Albert Duraev. Duraev, a plus 135 underdog, minus 160 for Park. Park, 8500 DK, $17 on FanDuel. Duraev, 7700 on DK, and $12 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, another fight that I'm struggling a little bit with. And, you know, Jung Young Park's a tough out. Um, he can box really well. He can grapple offensively decently well. Uh, he can even defend takedowns at a decent rate. He defended 21 takedowns against Eric Anders, who, you know, muscles a lot of takedown attempts, doesn't really have the best technique as far as wrestling is considered. But it's still stuffing 21 takedowns is a tough task. Jung Young Park has solid boxing, definitely the better 15-minute gas tank in this matchup against Albert Duraev. Duraev probably has the higher first-round finish rate, though. I, I have to tell you, I know he hasn't done it in the UFC yet, but regionally, even on Dana White's Contender Series, when he goes, he's tough to stop. Like He has a great blast double. He has great top control. He will wrist ride. He will, able, he will start trapping arms. He will hit you with ground and pound, setting up chokes. The technique on some of his chokes is not the best, but what he does is he suffocates you with some really, really pressure style of grappling and ground and pound. Um, 
you know, debuting against Roman Kopilov, hurt in that matchup, landed only one of nine takedown attempts, had five minutes of control time, not the best accuracy. Uh, second matchup against Joaquin Buckley, lost due to doctor stoppage, you know, after round two. He attempted nine takedowns, only had two that were successful, only a minute and a half of control time. Uh, and then most recently against Chidi and Jaquani, I thought this could have been a breakout spot for him. I know that his striking is lackadaisical at times, but if you've been following Chidi and Jaquani's career, you know you can take Chidi down, you can, you know, ragdoll him and get him out of there, you know, th- through ground and pound, through submissions. Um, and that just wasn't the case. Like we saw Albert derive land two of three takedowns, had four minutes of control time, didn't get him out of there. So I'm kind of scratching my head. It's like, did I overestimate what Albert Darius ceiling was inside the UFC? Um, he looked great on the contender series, but now he's going up against a guy in Junyun Park who will be his equal in most of these categories. Um, I, I think that he's going to take down Junyun Park round one, have his way, possibly finishing him. But as the fight goes on, I think that Junyun Park's clear, clearly going to work his way back in. He can actually reverse position, stuff takedowns and make this into a competitive kickboxing fight as well. So I really want to pick Albert Duraev here, sitting there at 7,700. He's a dog that's kind of, you know, I'll I'll use your word, he's fringe-worthy for me. So he's a part of my underdog player pool, but I'm not going to be confident enough um, and and say that he's going to get that win. So I'm going to be leaning towards Junyun Park to pick up a decision over Albert Duraev. And you look over at Prize Picks at fight time on this one, 14 and three quarters for Park, uh, 77 and a half fancy score for Park, and 44 and a half different strikes for Park. Uh, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't really love playing these 14 and three quarter fight times in a yeah. 15 minute fight, but I feel like if, if you want to go with this one, that to me would be an over, overplay in terms of, and I'm actually kind of surprised how much ownership this fight's getting. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I think it's got to be incorrect uh, because if it is correct, I just don't understand it. Like there's somebody that we're going to get to that's priced below that I absolutely love. And I'm going to be all about as far as exposure is concerned. And I can't wait to see if you agree with me or not. And I kind of, I know what the fight is and uh, we're going to get into it. Chelsea Chandler taking on Norma Dumont Chandler, a plus 120 betting underdog minus 144. Norma Dumont Dumont, 8,400 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. Chandler, 7,800 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. Of course, she made a little bit of news this week, kind of talking about the, look, it's not a new rumor about Ronda coming back to the UFC folks. I'm telling you, this rumor has been out there for about two months now. Really? See, I actually, I haven't, I, I don't like Ronda Rousey, so um, I haven't been paying attention to anything. But I don't think that she'll come back. Maybe she will. You know, life gets stale for some of these top athletes, especially when you're super competitive. Perhaps she wants to go there, come back, and, you know, capture another belt now that the GOAT in the Mana Nunes is gone. But, like, I just don't – I don't know. But I'm interested in this fight between Norma Dumont and Chelsea Chandler. We got Norma Dumont here who – is a surprisingly tough out against most people within this division. She's five and two, dropped her debut to Megan Anderson, who is a massive, uh, massive woman within the featherweight division, hit her with a beautiful straight right hand into a couple of shots on the ground. Uh, first round finish, short notice. That's okay. After that, Norma Dumont's kind of picked up, you know, some steam within this featherweight division. Three fights in a row, three wins over Ashley Evan Smith. Felicia Spencer, split decision, and Aspen Ladd. Like, if you hear those names, Aspen Ladd and Felicia Spencer, four years ago, 
you're thinking like, wow, these are some huge wins. Norma Dumont might be challenging for the title, and she very well could. Uh, I think that this division's wide open, um, but there's it, it limited participants within this division. Losing a split decision to Macy Chasson, okay, big frame fighter, uh, similar frame to Megan Anderson, uh, incorporated the takedown a lot to win rounds against Norma Dumont. And then most recently picked up two victories over Danielle Wolf, super one-dimensional, just a striker, and then Carol Hosa, who she arguably lost to. Um, or it was a close fight up until the end when Norma Dumont got dropped and was just getting controlled on the cage. She only scored 63 fantasy points. I love Norma Dumont. Like, I really do. I, I just I like her. She's a, a fighter I like to get behind. Um, I think that she's marketable. She's a pretty girl who can fight really well. But I think that she might be outgunned here against Chelsea Chandler. When Chelsea was making her debut, I was kind of tough on her because I'm such a technical guy that when I see people making technical mistakes, it, it bothers me as a coach. But her aggressiveness overshadows her technical deficiencies. She's huge for this division. She is a true featherweight. I don't think that Norma Dumont really is. I know she's that. I know she's fought at featherweight, but I feel like she could make bantamweight if she absolutely needed to. Um, I think it's kind of just more of a comfort thing. I think Chelsea Chandler is going to be extremely strong in the clinch. Going to put Norma Dumont against the cage. Dumont makes some mistakes where she keeps her lead hand super low. And as a coach, we've already seen Dumont get hurt and rocked numerous times. Um, she was rocked and knocked out against Megan Anderson, dropped against Carol Hosa, uh, hurt at other times as well. And Chelsea Chandler's got a big lead hook. She's a southpaw. I think that she's going to hurt Norma Dumont, pick up at least one knockdown en route to a, a decisive victory or finishing Norma Dumont. So my underdog of the week is going to be Chelsea Chandler. I understand it's a massive step up of competition going against Yulia Stol- uh, Stoliarenko to now fighting Norma Dumont, who is 5-2 and two in the UFC. But they're both Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belts. Chelsea Chandler training under that Nick Diaz army. I, I just think that she's got that dog in her where she at 7,800 is going to fight, and she's really, really mean. I think she's going to test that chin on Norma Dumont early and often, and I think she's the dog shot of the week that I'm going to stick behind. Uh, I mentioned a comment over in chat from that dude. He says, the Anderson fight, I thought the foot kick to the eye was stopped due to cut. Uh, that was against um, Kat Zingano. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that was Kat Zingano against Megan Anderson. Yep. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing we're probably going to have a Kat Zingano, uh, Chris Cyborg announcement here coming very soon. It's been, I'm just saying, Pete, the phone's been pretty interesting this week uh, in terms of MMA with some things that I, I said on my show this week. <laughs> it's been oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can only imagine. Oh, the what I would wish I could say. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, some interesting. It's been an interesting week in the world of MMA. I mean, that it's been an interesting week. Uh, let's uh, move over next up, and uh, we got the lightweights here, and, and I think this one should be a banger of a fight. You got Terrace taking on Nazim. Nazim a minus one fifty betting favorite, plus one twenty five for McKinney. McKinney is seventy five hundred DK, fifteen dollars on Fanduel. Nazim. 8700 on DK, $16 on FanDuel, Pete. All right. Here's a fight you got to target, everybody. I'm very confident that, th- that this fight ends up in the optimal lineup, and it's due to the volatility surrounding Terrence McKinney. I got to tell you, I really want to pick Terrence McKinney here against Nazim. I don't think that many people want to go to the, go to Terrence McKinney because they've, you know, they've been let down numerous times, 
but you have to recognize what you're getting with Terrence McKinney. You're getting early first round, second round finish type of guy. With that, you have absolute suspect gas tank, um, but unbelievable wrestling as well. I think that it's got to be, I've always said about Terrence McKinney, it's not that he's not in shape. It's a pacing issue. He goes out there, whether it's due to anxiety, performance anxiety, or um, just not recognizing that this is a 15-minute fight and to take his time. He goes out there, balls to the wall, and sometimes just goes right through his opponent, similar to how, like, amateurs do. Amateurs do that a lot, and it's tough to break. It's a composure thing. He needs to get, like, a true, like, Saif Saud would settle Terrence McKinney down and probably turn him into a contender within a division. He needs to get with a coach that's going to settle him down and really work on his composure. Um, because I, I think over the course of 15 minutes, he's the better mixed martial artist than Nazim Sadikov. He's more well-rounded. His wrestling chops are exceptional. His striking offense is great. His striking defense is poor. Um, that striking defense being poor already gets worse once he starts to get fatigued. He starts spinning around, throwing reckless spinning back kicks and spinning back fists, leaving himself open to counter shots. But if you really think back, that first round he had against Drew Dober was electric. He had Drew Dober hurt numerous times. The referee arguably could have stopped that fight a couple times because he need Drew Dober up the middle, followed up with vicious ground and pound. All that to tax his gas tank so much and get finished at the 317 mark of round one. Um, so he's a great bully, but when he starts to get bullied, he gets broken. If he paces himself correctly and he laces up his shoes, his wrestling shoes, he can win this fight against Nazim Sadikov by just, you know, TKO, whether it's ground and pound, getting a quick submission, um, or just being, let's say it went 15 minutes and he fought to the best of his ability. There's a world where he goes out there and does that. I just haven't seen it, so I can't recommend it. I can't recommend it when I know that Nazim Sadikov is surrounded by good wrestlers. Um, he's got good, good, you know, bodies around that camp at Longo Weidman. Um, he's going to sprawl and brawl, has good striking. But if you look at that Evan Elder fight, he wasn't winning that fight. He was a little bit behind. Evan Elder's a good mixed martial artist, good striking, good wrestling. He just wasn't he he wasn't taking initiative in that fight. And I feel like if you're banking on Nazim to just get McKinney out of there because you're waiting for McKinney to gas or you're waiting for McKinney to make mistakes, what happens if he doesn't? So I'm torn on this fight. It's an exposure fight for me. I think that Nazim Sadikov can clearly knock out and finish Terrence McKinney. But if you go back and you watch that Evan Elder fight, Nazim was dropped by Evan Elder uh, with a big shot over the top. So Terrence McKinney hits really, really hard. He could hit him with a big shot. You know, incorporate takedowns, submit them. Um, but one way or another, I, I see this fight ending in the first two rounds. So um, I'm seeing a ton of exposure on this fight. Totally agree with it. I'm okay with taking a dog shot on Terrence McKinney. I understand what I'm getting into. I'm not going to hold that Ishmael Balmfim loss against him. Um, and I do think that Nazim hasn't shown me anything in the UFC either. So I'm torn. Uh, I'm talking in circles with this fight, but I, I'm going to say that it's a slight lean towards Nazim, but I'm smashing exposure to the Terrence McKinney side. You know, as you were breaking down the fight there, and, and I agree with everything you had to say there, I, I was thinking because I know we get a lot of questions about single entry builds. 
And this may be a fight that people in single entry just click on McKinney, that you might be able to find some leverage in single entry by going to Nazim. I, I tell you what, according to ownership, it seems like that's what people are going to do. But I don't feel like people are going to want to get behind McKinney. I almost feel like those ownerships are going to be flipped. Um, but I could be wrong. It, it could just be such a volatile matchup uh, similar to the Prado Azatar one where expect half your lineups to be dead or just pivot away from all of it. And hopefully you pick up on another underdog that you have more exposure to and, you know, it's going to end up working out for you. But I do like the fight inside of two rounds, I think, is the call. Yeah, I mean, the, the fight time over on prize picks for this one is five minutes. Uh, Nazim's fans score 81 and a half. Uh, Nazim significant strikes 27 and a half. I mean, not, I mean, not really much I love there on prize picks in terms of this one just because of um, I, I could see I could see it going over five minutes. I really can. Uh, but yeah. also I could see this thing ending in two minutes. Like it, it's right. just it's 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 got volatility written all over it for me. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's like Spencer's mentioned. I know that he's dabbled and trained with with Kevin Holland. I don't know how to take that. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know how to take that as far as like he's a bigger body. Kevin Holland ain't the smartest fighter at all. He, he's. His fight IQ is pretty low, uh, just because he's going out there to be an entertainer. Um, so right. I don't know how to take that. But like my my point was, you want to get behind a strategist. Like say, like if Greg Jackson or Saif Saud had a hole of Terrence McKinney, mm-hmm. he would he would reach his potential. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We were actually uh, talking about Kevin Holland on a podcast this week, and we were saying, what do you th- do you think his if he calls Dana, Dana has him in his phone, his big mouth. Ooh, I think he has to. He, he probably has does. To. <laughs> he has to. That'd be great. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, he's uh, you know, like, yeah, Kevin will fight anybody anytime. I mean, Michael Yes was probably sitting there last week, going, "Hey, man, we got a fight scheduled in three weeks. Why are you trying to get on this card?" Yeah, exactly. And that that's kind of like if Jack Della Maddalena accepted a fight at a higher weight class than welterweight instead of. Mm-hmm. accepting a short notice against Kevin Holland, I think that could have ruffled some feathers within the division and and made everybody be like, well, what the heck? Is he picking and choosing? So maybe it was a statement thing like, no, I just want to fight wel- you know, welterweights only at 170. And that's why Della Maddalena chose to cut weight twice. Yeah, and also a lot of that I think goes into the matchup that you're you're going to get there. Let's move over to our next matchup. We got Melsic taking on Tucker. Tucker is a plus one thirty five betting underdog, minus one sixty for Melsic. Melsic ninety two hundred on DK, seventeen dollars on Fanduel, and Tucker is seven thousand on DK, thirteen dollars on Fanduel. Yeah, help me out, Jason. I mean, they're very close fights on this card, so I can make the case for a lot of underdogs. Chelsea Chandler's the one underdog that I'm actually like putting my stamp on. Myra Buena Silva, I'm leaning towards. Tucker Lutz is one of those guys that I have circled and he's fringe worthy. Um, do I trust him? No, not necessarily, because he went out there and got finished against Daniel Pineda, who has a wealth of experience, is super dangerous in the submission grappling department. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's been some time since Daniel Pineda, like I thought that if Tucker Lutz is who I think he is, he could go out there and possibly get rid of Daniel Pineda. But Pineda's a tough out um, stylistically against Melsic Bogdasarian. Take him down, look to exploit his grappling deficiencies, similar to how Joshua Kulabau did, despite you know Melsic having a strong round one. I don't like the price tag on Melsic. So I, I think that's why I can see getting behind Tucker Lutz. 
But just because I don't like the price tag doesn't mean I don't think he's going to win. I think that, you know, we've seen him pick up nice finishes in the past. Colin Anglin, he he picked up a second round finish. Um, but Colin Anglin was content to strike with him, and that was okay. Um, Bruno Souza is, a, you know, a striker that was okay with striking him. And he scored 60 points. He was unable to finish him. It was a competitive fight. He defended four takedowns. Uh, but I just don't trust Tucker Lutz to go out there and say, let's wrestle. I think it's going to be a 15-minute fight. In periods, he could try to look to wrestle. He attempted four takedowns in his debut, landed three of them. Uh, attempted to take down Pat Sabatini one time and was successful. Uh, and then against Daniel Pineda, went 0-4 in the takedown department. I don't think that he's going to attempt more than four takedowns, and I don't think that he's going to have significant success. So the better minute winner, in my opinion, is going to be Melsic Bogdasarian. But I think that Tucker Lutz is a fantastic underdog. Uh, I I can see why people want to be a little bit more aggressive towards the underdog. Significant price disparity. 7000 for Tucker Lutz, where Melsic Bogdasarian is 9200 I don't like the price tag on Melsic, so... Um, it's just going to be fading the fight for me in, in hopes that I'm correct, but I'm still picking Melsic to win a decision. Yeah, I mean, the question for me is, can you trust Tucker Lutz to go out there and utilize grappling? Yeah. and I, I don't know if we can, you know? Yeah, I, no, I'm with you there. Uh, let's move over to our next matchup, female matchup. we got Victoria taking on Nunez. Victoria is a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 160 for Nunez. Victoria, 9300 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. And Nunez is 6900 on DK and $11 on FanDuel, Pete. All right, careful here. Careful here. I almost pulled the trigger, but I'm not. Um, anytime somebody's training out of America top team and they're an underdog, you should circle them. America top team's going to prepare their fighters almost better than any gym and they've been around for so long. They have a, you know, incredible coaching staff from striking to grappling to wrestling. They have it all and it's a multi-million dollar facility. So they, they have the best of the best inside the one building. Um, Estella Nunes still is, she's very green in certain areas. I think in, in striking matchups, she's live to pull the upset. And, you know, that, that matchup against uh, Yasmin, she was outgunned, but at least stylistically, you saw some of the potential. She was able to drop Yasmin uh, Haregi, and then we saw what, what Denise Gomez just did to her, uh, dropped her and finished her. So the striking of Estela Nunes is great. It's her grappling that is a significant hole in her game. And I just haven't seen her defend takedowns well enough to make me back her here. I mean, she defended three against Yasmin. She defended three against Sam Hughes. And she defended two against uh, Ariana Carnalosi. But all that being said, like Estela Nunes has still been taken down a tremendous amount of times. Five times against Ariana Carnalosi, two times against Sam Hughes. And Yasmin fight ended in round two, early round two. So it's like... I think that an unknown fighter, relatively unknown fighter in Victoria Dudakova, who, if you go back a couple years, looks super, super raw, she's really started to incorporate takedowns a lot. You saw that on the Contender Series as well, and you actually saw some development over the past couple years where it's like, all right, she three years ago she looked horrible, but now she really laces up those wrestling shoes. I think stylistically – 
any wrestler against Estela Nunez is going to make me circle the wrestler. Um, so I'm still going to side with Dudakova here at 9,300. But like Estela Nunez has power. She does train an American top team. If there's any gym out there that gets your grappling and wrestling better, it's American top team. I'm not going to cross off Estela Nunez at 6,900. She's an underdog in women's MMA, super volatile. Uh, already had three fights in the UFC to Victoria Dudakova zero. And you never know how somebody's going to respond to the big lights. So I'll take some small shots on Estela Nunez, but I'm expecting the wrestling to be too be too much. And Dudakova gets her uh, her hand raised en route to a uh, unanimous decision victory. Yeah, this is actually one of the fights on Price Picks that I do like a prop, and I like the over twelve and a half fight time minutes on Dudakova. Um, I also, I think that the two and a half takedowns is also an interesting prop there. But to me, the fight time over twelve and a half is the one that uh, I look forward uh, look like the most over there on Price Picks. Next up, we have got Costa taking on Lingo. Costa is a minus two forty betting favorite, plus two hundred for Lingo. Costa ninety one hundred on DK, nineteen dollars on Fanduel, and Lingo seventy one hundred on DK, ten dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, I mean, like, this is a, an interesting fight. Uh, Melky Zayel Costa against Austin Lingo. Um, I think that Melky Zayel Costa looks good. He's a, he's a strong striker. On the feet, he looked good against Tiago Moises. He can grapple, but, like, that was Tiago Moises' path to victory is go down, take him down, um, look to hop on the back, look to exploit him as early as possible. And, you know, it happened in round two. Melky Zayel Costa on the feet though is super dangerous he's not just a boxer he will kick a lot he will just be a better kickboxer in this matchup against austin lingo who predominantly likes to throw hands the good thing about austin lingo is that he's out of a good camp so whenever you have an underdog a part of a good camp you should circle them and kind of get more exposure to these fighters out of strong ufc camps um you know so estela nunez I, I understand that you don't want to get behind her, but just increase your exposure a little bit. Give her that camp factor. Same thing for Austin Lingo. Give him that camp factor where you know that the camp and coaching staff, they're going to come up with a game plan, they're going to watch film, and they're going to be more prepared than anybody. And they have been a part of the big show for a while. So Austin Lingo at 7,100 is probably going to be everybody's value play uh, this week where that's their complete long you know, long shot, their dart under that 7,500 range. I'm okay with it. I just feel like he's going to be a step behind in a lot of the sequences. Mm-hmm. Austin Lingle, not a takedown guy, uh, can defend takedowns. I think this is going to be a 15-minute kickboxing fight. Uh, Melky Zael Costa will be the better striker, in my opinion. He'll target the body and the legs a little bit better than Austin Lingo, who is just mainly, you know, chopping at the head, throwing good body shots, but he, he won't go to the legs at all. So uh, I'm going to be going with Melky Zael Costa to win a 15-minute striking contest. Will he hurt Austin Lingo? Sure, that could happen. I'm not in love with the price tag at 9100 I do think that he wins, uh, but I don't like the price. Yeah, I, I don't love the, the price tag on this one either. Um, and Austin Lingo's a guy I just I really don't like to get to in, in DFS. And um, you know, over at Prize Picks, I will say I do like the over uh, fight time on Costa, which is twelve and a half. Also, I like the uh, the over fifty four and a half significant strikes as well in, in terms of uh, this one over there on Prize Picks. Next up, we got a matchup that I think has got a chance to be a little bit of a banger. That's Evan Elder taking on Valdez. Elder a three to one betting favorite, plus two forty for Valdez. Elder is ninety four hundred DK, twenty one dollars on Fanduel and Valdez, 6800 on DK, $10 on FanDuel. 
I'm a little like surprised with some of these salaries. I have to tell you. And like, you know, when you're sitting here and you're seeing Melky's IL cost of 9,100, Dudakova 93, Melsic 92. And then you see like Jack Della Maddalena, one of the best up and comers in the sport, priced 97. It's very easy for me to just say, I'm going to get to Jack Della Maddalena. I just love his skill set. Um, other fighters can definitely outscore him. Um, but I just don't really like where they're at. Like Evan Elder, 9,400, significant favorite. And that's pre- predominantly because of what Gennaro Valdez has, has done in his previous fights. Uh, knocked down four, five, six times against Matt Frivola and got finished in round one. We've never seen something like that where somebody gets dropped and knocked down so many times in the same round. We're not talking 15 minutes. We're saying four or five times in this in the first round. Uh, giving up takedowns to Natan Levy, getting booted in the face, dropped against Natan Levy. Uh, he's like defensively reckless and irresponsible. So now he's priced at 6,800. Offensively, skill wise, though, that I don't think that there should be such a disparity here um, from the salaries to the odds. You have Elder, minus 300 favorite. He can get takedowns if he wants to get takedowns. Uh, he's a very good fighter out of Kilcliffe FC. Um, he can land big shots. He switches stances well, throws good combinations from both sides. And I do think that he's going to hurt Gennaro Valdez. Everybody else has. Why can't Evan Elder? It's just a price tag thing for me. Like 9,400 is a little rich. I was kind of expecting him to be like 8,900. And I was going to be like, all right, I can get behind Evan Elder. Um, $500 more than where I was expecting. I get it to a point because it's matchup based and it's against his opponent. But like Gennaro Valdez... He, he's dangerous too, you know, and like Evan Elder did just get TKO'd, but it was mainly due to the cut, um, and he was winning that fight. So I'm going to be picking Evan Elder here, but like most of these 9,000 options outside of uh, JDM, it's kind of just a head scratcher, and I'm just not in love with the price tag. They should score well. Like Evan Elder should score well if he wins against General Valdez. It's just like I'm loving the mid-range this week, mm-hmm. I, I have to tell you. Yeah, this is uh, Elder was actually a guy I did get into. Just I, I just did a, a dummy build. Um, and it was just one of those things where I had enough cash left over to be able to get to him. But because uh, there there are some under eight thousand options, I, I do like this week. But uh, yeah, this one could be a little sneaky potential fight of the night. Um, something about this fight tells me it could be a good one. Next up, we've got uh, an undefeated prospect here taking on a veteran, Tyson Nam, welcoming him in. Uh, Maxim Maxim minus four twenty betting fair plus three twenty four. Tyson Nam Nam six six hundred on DK. $9 on FanDuel. And on the other side, uh, Azat is $9,600 on DK, $22 on FanDuel, Pete. And this is this is a classic UFC matchmaking right here, Pete. Oh, yeah. Classic UFC matchmaking and massive prospect against a UFC veteran. And, uh, you know, are you ready for the big show or not? And I do think that Tyson Nam is – he's dangerous in any fight. And in the flyweight division, you know that he can crack and hit – anybody and hurt them because he's done it throughout his entire career between you know flyweight and bantamweight uh, he has a massive massive right hand i remember when eduardo dantes was one of my favorite fighters in bellator and took it, a fight outside the promotion to stay active and tyson nam ended up finishing him and i'm like who the hell is tyson nam because eduardo dantes was you know held in such high regard in my opinion um and you saw what tyson nam can do even back in 2022 against a dangerous fighter in Ode Osborne. Uh, you make a mistake, you stand in front of him, he throws that missile right hand, he'll knock you out. 
Uh, Jerome Rivera wasn't UFC ready, and he knocked him out in the second round. Zuruk Adeshev, he knocked him out in the first round. So you know he's dangerous. Uh, in his previous matchup against Bruno Silva, he was hurt on the feet and then strangled uh, for the first time in his career. So I understand the odds here. Azat Moxham is an undefeated prospect who offensively wrestles so well. Like I love watching him wrestle. His wrestling is really, really high. Uh, Tyson Nam, for the most part of his career, is able to defend takedowns and sprawl and brawl. It's just his volume is 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 low, and if he doesn't land that big right hand, he's most likely not winning the fight. So he has a puncher's chance. Everybody on this card has a puncher's chance, but Tyson Nam has a larger chance than most, especially for this division. I think that Azat Moxham's speed in everything is just going to be way too much for Tyson Nam. Uh, the the speed of the wrestling and the grappling, uh, the the speed on the hands. I can see Moxham finishing him by hitting with a big shot en route to a submission, or just you know one way or another, just being too much for him and outworking him. So I I really like Maxim here. I like the price tag at nine. Well, I can't say I like the price tag. I wish he was he was cheaper, but I understand the price tag at ninety six hundred. Um, let's see if the kid's ready. I, I think he is ready for this opportunity. Uh, and like I said, I think the speed's going to be the difference maker here. So give me Maxim at ninety six hundred. I'll take a couple shots on the sixty six hundred price tag on on Tyson Nam. But like, say this goes fifteen minutes, Tyson Nam probably not breaking twenty points. Tyson Nam's always been a, a favorite of mine, just because of uh, you know going back all those years and kind of what he had to go through with that the whole uh, issues when he beat Dantas and the the legal situation that he was involved with Bellator. So, uh, but I mean, look, he's it, if I'm looking at making a punt play, Tyson Nam would be a punt play just because you know if Tyson Nam's going to win. It's going to be via knockout. Uh, by the way, Scott, I'm not quite sure what uh, your question is, so maybe if you can uh, rephrase that. I'm not sure what you kind of meant by, uh, you know, swapping lines. So I don't know if you maybe if, if you're talking about if there's like a 50-50 fight, you know, maybe I put one fighter one line, I put one fighter in the other. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, do that there. Next up, we got uh, Munoz taking on Deaton. Munoz is a minus 210 betting favorite, plus 175 for Carl Deaton. Munoz, a 300 DK, $18 on FanDuel. And Deaton, 7900 DK, $13 on FanDuel. And this is, is this the I don't know who to trust fight? Oh, no. I mean, I really, really, really like Alex Munoz here. Uh, this is the... 8,000 fighter that I'm super bullish on. And the experience lies with Carl Deaton in mixed martial arts. Um, you know, picking up a win over Justin Janes. Okay. But Justin Janes never really decided to wrestle within his career. Um, he, he attempts some takedowns, especially when he got hurt or if he was behind. But he never said, I'm going out there and I'm going to utilize my wrestling and incorporate it with my striking. I think Alex Munoz is just such a workhorse that he's going to get a tremendous amount of takedowns. And and Jason, while I'm breaking this down, if you, if you could just pull up the prize picks takedown prop on Alex Munoz, because I think that that's got to be a great number. It's three. It was, it Why can't was it be two and a half. It was two and a half. It was two and a half earlier this week, and people jumped on it at three. I mentioned about there was a line I liked earlier in the week. I don't like now. Now he's got to get four to get over that. Ugh. I think he does. I, 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 I but who says he just doesn't get – he doesn't take him down once once around and Deaton never gets up? Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So I've been watching a lot of tape on Carl Deaton, and Deaton is a guy that 
you know, he, he can win fights. He's got a ton of experience. I just don't think he's good. Like, I think he's just a, a guy that shows up and showing up is half the battle. And he's got a ton of experience. He is a step behind in striking a lot. He doesn't, he's not aggressive enough. He doesn't go out there and push the pace and say, I'm winning this fight. I'm going to knock you out. He just competes. He like does whatever he, his opponent does. He matches. He tries to go tit for tat. I, I don't see any killer instinct in Carl Deaton. Um, I see him struggle to defend takedowns against uh, several fighters on the regional scene. And I, I went back and I watched a couple fights. I got to pull up this guy's name. But I was watching Carl Deaton in that fight. And granted, it was a little bit of, a little bit of time ago. But when I saw him, I think it was a guy's name, Jonas. Uh, yes, Jonas Flock. Similar game plan to what Alex Munoz is going to do to him. Took him down so many times. I believe I counted six, seven takedowns, maybe even eight in that matchup. And what happened was Carl Deaton would work back to his feet. And then uh, Jonas Flock would just constantly go back to the wrestling, go back to the wrestling. Carl Deaton would counter and attempt his own takedowns. And then next thing you know, Jonas would just keep it going in chain wrestling. It wasn't defending the first takedown that was the problem for Carl Deaton. It was the chain wrestling. And that's the same thing that I think is going to be here against Alex Munoz. Phenomenal wrestler. Training out of Team Alpha Male. Um, I think that Carl Deaton will probably defend the first one. But it's that chain wrestling and it's that... Matt return style of Munoz. Munoz better realize he ain't a striker. Stop trying to strike. <laughs> stop trying to strike. Stop Stop trying to strike, bro. Go up there and, and lace up those wrestling shoes. He attempted eight takedowns against Nazrat Hakparas, uh, only was successful at one of them, um, and then went four of nine in the takedown department against Luis Pena. Munoz, you're priced at 8,300. We need four plus takedowns this week. I think you can do it, and I think he might break the slate. My issue is... If he kind of stays in that three or four takedown realm and he only scores like mid 80s, I'm going to be a little pissed because uh, like that Alonzo Menafield performance of last weekend or the weekend before, um, you know, it just wasn't enough. You had underdogs that outscored that, but I'm going to be smashing my Alex Munoz exposure. I think that he has the potential to break the slate. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I like I understand, but to me, it's a layoff, all that. It just kind of concerns me. That's why that's off. I, I, get back to your roots. Get back to your wrestling. He, he should go to take town city. He should go to take town city. That that is the the clear path to him winning the match. I mean, look, I my pick's gonna be Munoz in this one, but to me it is about as you as you just said, lace up those wrestling shoes and go to wrestling practice and just take them to the ground. We'll see if that happens. Then our first fight of the night, a female matchup, Aileen Perez taking on Ashley Evan Smith. Evan Smith, a plus 180 betting underdog, minus 220 for Perez. Perez, 8800 8, $8, on DK, $18 on FanDuel. Evan Smith is 7400 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. And Pete, I'll be honest with you, before this fight was announced, I didn't even realize Ashley Evan Smith was still in the UFC. Did she get re-signed or is she still was always in the UFC, but regardless, it was just like very, very confusing. And I was like, Oh dang. Okay. Well, I know that she had a ton of medical issues, a lot of issues with her back, like spinal fusions or something like that issues with her vertebrae. Um, you know, we got a rule and I'm not trying to make jokes, but I, I think the rule is pretty undefeated, right? Like if somebody's coming off a massive back injury, stay away from them. I think that, us sticking to that rule has led to us being undefeated. So um, with all that being said, I, I do think that Ashley Evan Smith has some interesting upside. I'm going to look to play her via submission 
because I feel like that's her only way of doing it. And I know that sounds crazy. She's plus 2,200 to win via submission, but her boyfriend or husband is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt in 10th planet jiu-jitsu. She's been working on her jiu-jitsu massively. If we saw anything from Eileen Perez, it's that there is somewhat of deficiency in the grappling part of her game. Uh, she can wrestle well. She can uh, strike well. It seemed like you know when she got into certain positions against Stephanie Edgar, Edgar was just able to put her in those positions and submit her. Now, I'm not recommending that Ashley Evans Smith bet. I'm just saying it's interesting. And last weekend, um, if you were in our Discord, which is free to join, please click the link to join our free Discord so, so you can talk to us throughout the fights. I hit a plus 9,000 round three Vitor Petrino submission prop just because I thought it was interesting. Small money bet, but I, I do think that is a, a path for Ashley Evans Smith to win this fight because honestly, I think she's going to be a step behind everywhere. The layoff's going to be too much. The striking is going to be a little bit too much for Eileen Perez. You know, just she's going to get on Ashley Evans Smith early. Um, she can wrestle offensively and, and put Ashley Evans Smith in poor positions. So I think the way for her to hail Mary herself out of bad stuff is finding a submission and testing that submission defense that uh, Eileen Perez kind of struggles in. Um, I, I think that Perez picks up a decision here. I think that her training a, a part of MMA Masters is a great move for her. Um, and I, I think that she's going to be ready. I don't like the price tag at 8800 but with the layoff and all of that, it makes sense to me. I'll be picking Eileen Perez to win here at 8800 And uh, I like her to win via decision. And that is not a bad play at all. Uh, it sits at plus 160. Yeah, I mean, we all know in the statistically – Female fights go over that two and a half rounds, uh, about 60, uh, it's, a, it's a little over 6% of the time. Let's get into our straight up fight picks, non DFS related. Uh, main event, I'm going underdog number one. Give me uh, Bueno Silva. Bueno Silva against my own judgment. Uh, I'll go uh, Jack Della. Yeah, Jack Della, Madalena. This is the one I keep going back and forth on. I'm going to go underdog number two in Azatar. I don't hate it at all. I'm, I'm going to lean Prado. Uh, I'll go Park. Park. Give me underdog number three, Chelsea Chandler. Chelsea Chandler, big time. Uh, I'm going to go Nazim. Nazim, don't feel good about it. <laughs> uh, then I, uh, I'm going to go Melsic. Melsic. Uh, then I will go uh, Victoria. Yep, Dudakova. Give me Costa. Same Costa. Uh, Elder for me. Elder. Maxim. Maxim. Uh, Munoz. Munoz. And then I will go Perez. Perez for me as well. Of course, if you got any questions, uh, you can line those up. Uh, if you want to throw us a super chat, we go right to the top of the queue. Also got some questions from Discord that came in before the show. Uh, first up, we'll go. Uh, the first question was FanDuel Cheapies. So when I'm thinking FanDuel Cheapies, I'm kind of thinking usually 13 and under for the most part, Pete. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so as I look at that number, uh. Oof, not not a lot that I love underneath thirteen dollars. Be honest with you, but Chandler at fourteen dollars definitely is, is an interesting play if you want to go somewhere. I mean, I talked about Nam. I mean, it's a punt play for me, but if he's going to win, it's going to be via knockout. Yeah, I I'm all over Chelsea Chandler this week, and it's women's mixed martial arts, and you know that it's volatile at times. Mm -hmm. She's got crazy power, and she's just mean, and she's a bully, and she's. She's not one-dimensional. She's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think that's going to be like my 
big flag plant of the week is Chelsea Chandler across all platforms. Smash the exposure to her. I feel like I've watched enough film where I'm confident that she's going to hurt Norma Dumont. Uh, best value plays under 8K on DraftKings, Pete. Yeah, Chandler, Bueno Silva. Then it gets interesting. Um, then it gets really interesting. I, I, I think that it's like McKinney slash Lutz. One yeah. of those guys. But I don't feel comf- comfortable with either one of them. You know, if you said including the 8,000, and I think that Azatar could be a, a strong play because it's a close fight. Uh, favorite core plays? I'm going to go f- somebody in the five-round fight. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a little bit more exposure to Bueno Silva, Chelsea Chandler, Jack Della Maddalena. Yeah, uh, I mean the next one is about favorite inside distance fights. I think Madalena and Basile is a is a fight that I would kind of look at as a high probability uh, of going in there. And by the way, Samuel, appreciate uh, your uh, super chat uh, as always, man. I appreciate when you oh. throw those super chats our way. And uh, yeah, if you're in or to score, Pete dropped a little nugget. Pete didn't even tell me. Well, we talked. About I know it. I did it. I forgot. <laughs> I mean, we talked about it weeks ago, <laughs> and then I'm just I'm sitting there having having a cold beverage, and I, and I was like, "Oh, let me text Pete." <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I was just I've been working so much, and then I got an email, and I've been going back and forth. So what we're doing is we're just going to uh, make some some merch for everybody, a part of the community. Um, if if you guys are going to want some a, a t-shirt or a hoodie. What we're going to do is we're going to have an online store and it's going to have like a a two or three week uh, period where you can go on there, order it. And that's how we're going to go through through these uh, these merch purchases. And uh, I'm excited to see what they look like as soon as they give me the the mock up. I'll post it in our community and uh, then I'll post the link and we can get going. And and I can't wait to start wearing some of the Fight HQ uh, Fight HQ attire. Uh, other fights that I look at as a favorite inside the distance, Praza, uh, Prado, Azatar, Nazim, oh, yeah. McKinney, um, Elder Valdez. I love it. I mean, he, he's uh, – if you just write then and there, not say you have to get exposure to all those, but if you said like one to two of those fights Jason just recommended if you were out using a crunching device, I think that sets you up for a great lineup. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, next one was uh, Jason's spe- uh, special play, first fight of the night takes. Uh, I, I I will have very limited exposure on the first fight of the night. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it, the issue, right, is that Ashley Evan Smith hasn't been knocked out in the UFC. Um, outside the UFC, she was knocked out really, really quickly. I think it was as an amateur. Um, so I. Can it happen? Yes. But we, we've seen her go up against other fighters that haven't been able to do it, one of them being Norma Dumont. So I think losing a decision makes much more sense. Uh, favorite MVP and high upside value plays. In, in terms of MVP, like there's not one I say I love as like, okay, that's definitely, I mean, I, the main event because of, of the five-round nature in it. But then there's other ones like if Munoz – gets those wrestling shoes on i mean he could that score could be huge yeah i mean it all comes down to do you want a safe score part of that mvp or do you want like could be 120 and could be 16 you know what i mean like if you want to take that gamble then you go with somebody 
uh, in the mid 8,000 range or something like that uh, in a close competitive fight, like a Terrence McKinney in an MVP spot can give you everything or he could give you nothing. Yeah. Uh, or you could just be smart and just get the more like high end Jack Della Madalena in the MVP. It's a lot, <laughs> but it, at least you know you're getting points in that position. Yeah, when you talk about uh, you know high upside value plays, I look at some of these you know just low salary fighters, like someone like a Tucker Lutz. You know, kind of what we were just yeah. talking with Munoz. If he wrestles up his wrestling shoes, I think he's got he's got an interesting value there. Um, you, you mentioned about McKinney, but I mean McKinney is going is is always going to be a boom bust play. I mean that's just it's like always. a heavyweight fight. He's a boom bust play. You know, going into that, um, you know, and then. I mean, Buenos Silva is seventy six hundred. I think is it's it's going to have high ownership, but you got to love the value there. Uh, next up, we have favorite captain on the captain mode. So just kind of looking at the captain contest here. Um, I mean, Jack Del Madeline is fourteen four. I mean, I, that's just that's a lot to put in that captain role. I mean, like this is where I would probably be looking at Prado as the tar. McKinney, Nazim would be kind of the ones that would be I'd be circling as as captains. Yeah, I, I mean, how about Chelsea Chandler? Yeah, that's it's an interesting one. I I like her. Um, Norman Dumont's tough though. It's just like, can she get her out of there? I think that she's going to drop her. Um, but so I like her. Uh, top punt plays. Uh, I mentioned about it to me. A punt play is not, is Tyson name just because of if he wins, it's going to be by knockout. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I do get it. Um, I think I'd go absolute pump play is Stella Nunes. Okay. Uh, over, under, six and a half. Low number, a lot of fights, but there's a lot of fights in this card that I can see going to decision. Um, I'm going to say less. Good number. Yeah, I think I'd think I lean less as well. Uh, best decision odds. Oh, Lord. Oh, man. There, there's a lot of fights that I can see going to decision here. <laughs> I mean, I but like rest. if I... I mean... That's 155, 160. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's Alexander a lot of these fights. Munoz. Munoz decision plus 120. Um, outside of that, like, I'd probably say those two if I had to pick yeah. a, or like a Jung Young Park via decision. Um, plus 175. Uh, best three to four leg parlays. If I was going to put a three legger together, I mean, obviously, you know, I wouldn't love to put Madeline in there just because he's a five to one favorite in this one. And I think the number's going to soar. Uh, I would probably go Munoz. Silva. And Elder. I'm going to go. Some weird fights this week, man. I'm going to go with Perez, Munoz, Chandler. And our final question is we're going to wrap up the show. Here comes from Tristan. He says, rank the 9K options, highest leverage plays, and who has the best takedown upside? So uh, you look at your 9,000 options this week, Costa, Melsic, Victoria, Elder, Maxim, and Madalena. Um, takedown upside. It's easy for me. It's maximum one due to COVID two, elder three. Forget everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean the the problem with Madalena to me is just it's it's getting there. 
You know, now I mean, I oh, do yeah. think. Yeah. I, I mean, it just and the thing depends on how many seven thousand options you're going to put in your lineup to get to Madalena. That that to me is is the question mark. Yeah, yeah. The, the ranking I just did was just for takedown upside. It's just maximum one due to COVID two, um, elder three for for takedowns. Yeah, I just I wanted to pull up uh, ownership projections to see who's got the who's got the leverage in terms of, of those. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think that a lot of people are going to be getting to Madalena. So, um, I mean, look, in last week, Bo Nickel was in the optimal lineup, but he also went out there and won in what, 30 seconds, 38 seconds. I think yeah, it was. That, was, that was ridiculous. Dude. That was absolutely ridiculous. Fake the shot, lead right hook. It was gorgeous. He, he he's one of those guys. That, and, and I love the fact that he is saying, I'm taking my time. He's not well, yeah, trying to rush fight, things. Fights haven't been over a couple minutes. I mean, yeah. it's like it's it's a gift and a curse at the same point. Like, what happens if he's in minute fifteen in an MMA fight? You know? Yeah, I mean, um, Melsic is the guy. I think if you're looking to get some leverage in the nine thousand options, that's probably where you're going to have to go. Cost, I, I think, is a, is a, is another one. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, before we we lost the fight this week, that the Harris Parisian fight, I was like. Thinking, I was like, oh, man, that might have been a fight we'd have to get to. But, well. Oh, 100%. I was liking Walt Harris. I just don't think that Parisian's good. Yeah. But also, course. Walt Harris doesn't look good half the time when he gets taken down. So, it was, like, super volatile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good. It was going to be a, a total boom bust. But, um, of course, uh, for people who did not see, Walt Harris uh, did reveal that uh, his last USADA drug test, that uh, he did pop for a banned substance. So, we'll see what happens with that one. Also, if you're not seeing the PFLs getting into the USADA business, should be interesting. Yeah, not it's not good, good when you have your first fight card of the year and ten guys fail a drug test. Not good for business. No, no, no. Who cares what? Who cares what Usada says? Did you see that? Person. Did you did you see that crap last Saturday? Oh uh, God! When Dana starts creating his own narrative, like no one said that you said f Usada. Everyone, it's like, dude, you're on video. Like everyone transcribed it correctly. You said no one cares about USADA. I'm like, <laughs> he meant like, who cares about USADA? Because it's such a far fetched idea to even happen, Jason. How come? How come that didn't make sense to you? I, I don't know if you saw the end of this week's Ultimate Fighter, where um, no. it's so. I'm not. It's all out there. Uh, they've had seven fights. Team Chandler seven wins. Team McGregor, zero. So after the latest loss, Connor comes up to Dana White, one of the executive producers of Tough, and goes, hey, so uh, if my guy doesn't win next, am I done? Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's... um. So so next week, right, uh, a guy that um, I'm cool with from the Northeast, Rico DeShulo, uh, fights next week. So Correct, yeah. He, yeah, he's taking on... Right. Um, um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name. He's out of uh the lab. It's uh Rico against. I'm excited to see how he does, though. I, I uh, Hunter Ad, Hunter Azure. It's a tough Hunter's good. Yeah. So I I think that you know I can't wait to see it because Rico throws bombs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar with Rico over over the years, you know, and uh, 
course, he's, he's been up a part of those Bellator shows up there at the Mohegan a lot and uh, obviously getting another chance here uh, inside the UFC. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, uh, be sure to uh, give us a thumbs up. What's that, Pete? Chelsea Chandler in Norma Dumont's face like crazy. Yeah. It, oh, dang. Come on, Chelsea Chandler. You Talking know, all that mess in the media. That's probably why. You know what the other thing that, that stuck out to me about that is? What? Noticeable size difference. That's what I'm saying. Huge. Norman Dumont looks like pissed off. So like, oh, but oh, they they had they had something out. Oh, they're still after the after the face off. Oh, they're flipping each other off right in the face. I'm gonna send it to you. It's on MMA Junkie. It, oh boy, it, it's I mean it's on brand for Team Diaz. It's on brand. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> it's on no, brand. It, it seems like it seems like Norman Dumont like <clears throat> really pissed. I'm telling you. Smash exposure to this sneaky fight. I'm going to I'm going uh Chandler, but you could have woken up a beast here in Dumont, which is not good. Yeah, you, you never know, but that is going to do it for us, of course. So be sure to smash that thumbs up button. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to do that as well, of course. So you can also check out the show on the podcast platforms as well. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Fight HQ podcast. We'll be back here next week to get you ready for UFC Vegas 78, I guess it is. <laughs> I, I don't know that. either, bro. Who's <laughs> who's headlining it? Uh, no clue. Uh, I don't know either. I, I know the pay per view is at the end of the month with Gaethje and uh, and Poirier, but yeah, I could I could not tell you what next week's card is. Could not. Yeah, I don't Actually, know. no, no. It's um, uh, Aspinall. Aspinall headlining it. My boy, and I didn't know. I want to say it's uh, him and Tybura, do I want to say? I, I believe that's over. In, actually, I think that's in London, actually. Where the hell have I been? Because it's, what I know it's. To that like crazy knee injury that he had against. Oh, wow. You're right. It is Aspinall, Tybura. Yeah, it's wow, over. It's, yeah, it's a lot a, of fights. Yeah, it's over in London. Oh, this is a good card, Jason. Oh, that's a good card. Do you see the fights? Yeah, I'm looking at the fight card right now. That's a really solid card. Because they got to sell tickets. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Accountability. Who would have ever thought? Yeah, dude, right now there's 15 fights booked for this card. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a whole, holy moly. I know we said we were getting out of here, but look at these fights. So we got Aspinall Tybora, McCann Stoliarenko, Herbert Farazium, Murphy Kulabau. Nathaniel Wood, my boy, Andre Feely, Andre Muniz, Paul Craig. That's a jujitsu delight. I can't wait mm -hmm. to see that. Um, some guy, uh, Mark Jacasey against Joel Alvarez, Caitlin Vieira, Penny Kianzad, Brian Barbarana, Mahmoud Muradov. Holy moly! I'm I'm excited. About time. Look, look. All you gotta do is look at a fight card, and you know whether it's in the apex or they actually have to sell yeah. tickets. Yeah, it's it's true. very clear. It is yeah, true. Well, very clear. Lots of lots of fights next week. Good fights this weekend. Good luck to everybody. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. Before you head out, hit that like button. Get us over 100 likes. Each and every like is truly appreciated. If you can subscribe to the channel, please help us get to 1,000 subscribers. Join the community uh, in our free Discord that's linked below. And uh, good luck this weekend. Let's win some money. And we will talk to you next week right here on the Fight HQ Podcast.